Well, if you have a Bible there with you, uh, if you want to turn to Psalm 16, that'll be our sermon text today. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed on the back of your bulletin so you can follow along there just in case. Uh, But I'll ask, as is our custom, that you stand for the reading of God's word this morning. Psalm 16, give ear to the reading of God's word. Psalm 16, a miktam of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night. Also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, the scripture says that the, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's, uh, let's pray this morning and ask God to teach us his word even today. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us your word, for giving us a light Uh, to our feet and a lamp to our path that we might know you rightly by faith in Jesus Christ, your son, and that we might know how you would have us to live in a way that's glorifying to you out of gratitude for what you've done for us through Christ. We pray even now that you would work in us by your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, Today, uh, as, as Easter Sunday, typically we look at, at some passage dealing with the resurrection of Christ. And today we're going to be looking at what might be, for, well certainly it's one of the most important Old Testament passages dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that's Psalm 16. Now, maybe when you were on your way to church this morning, you thought to yourself, if you didn't already know, we do send emails out telling you what the sermon text and all that is. But if you weren't aware, maybe you thought... Oh, I wonder what passage we're going to be going through. Maybe it's one of the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, dealing with the resurrection. Maybe the Old Testament wasn't exactly the first thing that jumped to your mind. Maybe when you heard we were going to do a psalm, you might have thought, what in the world is the pastor uh, thinking uh, this morning? Um, but his death, his death and resurrection, the death and resurrection of Christ, his cross, his glory, uh, they really are, as we're going to see, they're the subject of all of Scripture. Not just the New Testament, not just the, the Gospels themselves, but of, of all the entire Bible is about Christ himself. The entire Bible is about Christ in particular, his sufferings and his glory. From the beginning pages of the book of Genesis all the way to the last pages of, of the book of Revelation, that is, that is the case. And so it shouldn't surprise us that much when we see, uh, as we're going to see even the apostles quoted from the Psalms and from this Psalm in particular, about the resurrection. This this Psalm of David, Psalm 16, is in a very real sense the Psalm of the resurrection. Now when I say that, I I don't mean in some general sense the resurrection as as a general theme. I'm talking about it's the Psalm of Christ's resurrection in particular. 
That is the heart and soul of this, of this psalm. Now think about that. If you know a little bit of your, your biblical and uh, biblical history, the history of, of, of the church and of redemption, uh, King David wrote this psalm. When did King David, roughly speaking, you know, ballpark it, uh, when did he live? And when did he write this psalm? He wrote this psalm a thousand years, roughly a thousand years before Christ. And yet, look at what he writes. It's, it's amazing to think um, that 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 is the case. This psalm, Psalm 22 and others that David wrote uh, that, that speak of Christ so specifically, so exactly, uh, and they were written that long before the time uh, of Christ. So David in Psalm 16 prophesies uh, about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, Psalm 16, the psalm that we're looking at here today, uh, very well may be the clearest most explicit prophecy of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in the entire Old Testament. Uh, just as Psalm 22, I won't read that to you this morning, but take the time yourself maybe this afternoon. Read through Psalm 22. And remember that Psalm 22, where Jesus quotes it from the cross, right? We talked about a little while ago something Jesus said from the cross. Well, one of the things he said is Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes the psalm. And if you read Psalm 22, it's a little bit longer than, than this one. Um, you'll, you'll be amazed to think that this was written so long before the event took place. It describes crucifixion from a first-person perspective uh, hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented. It's, it's, it's almost impossible to imagine. You know, People like to say, well, David was writing about himself, and then it has some application to Christ. In a secondary sense, I challenge you to look at Psalm 22 and look at Psalm 16 this morning and see how those things can in any way, in any meaningful way, be primarily about David in any sense, in any meaningful sense. They aren't. They're about Christ himself and only secondarily, if that, about David himself. Psalm 22, you could call the Psalm of the Cross. Well, Psalm 16 is the Psalm of Christ's resurrection. Well, I'd like to look this morning a little bit about prophecy about the resurrection in, in general, and then we're going to look at what Psalm 16 has to say in, in particular. Have you ever thought about the fact, not just that Jesus rose from the dead, not just the fact that it is a historical fact. Maybe you, have, maybe you yourself are struggling with doubts about that, uh, even as you're sitting here today. But beyond that, have you, have you considered the fact that Jesus' resurrection was, an, it was a topic of prophecy? That it was specifically prophesied and foretold in the Old Testament? It wasn't some unforeseen, unimagined thing that took place. Listen to what the Apostle Peter has to say about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. The Apostle Peter writes there, he says, Concerning this salvation, the salvation that we have in Christ, Concerning the salvation, the prophets, that's the ones in the Old Testament, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or what time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who have preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. A lot of things you could say about that short, that short passage. 
The Holy Spirit, what does it say there? Peter says the Holy Spirit spoke through those prophets to, to make those, we, we might call them predictions or prophecies about Christ. And then what does it say, what does Peter say about those who preach the good news, the gospel to them? The gospel that was the fulfillment of those things that the Holy Spirit, uh, they preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit. Same, same Holy Spirit that inspired those prophecies to begin with. So what, according to Peter there, what was the primary message of the prophets in the Old Testament? They said a lot of things. They said a lot of different things. They said a lot of different things in a lot of different ways. Some, some strange things they, that they had to do. You know, the, the prophets, I won't go into this now, but they didn't just say things. They actually acted some things out. And sometimes in some really odd, odd ways. But what was their primary message throughout the entire Old Testament? When I say prophets, my guess is some of you think right away, end times. What's going to happen at the end? What's going to, you know, uh, you think of maybe the, the Left Behind books, the series, the movies, things like that. Or if you're a little older like me, maybe you think of A Thief in the Night, those kind of things, those old, old 70s movies. You know, you, you think of end times. Well, that's not wrong in, in a sense. Uh, I hope that that's not what you think of every time you think of the Old Testament prophets. It, they are about the end times, if you consider the end times to be focused upon Christ himself. Peter tells us there that the prophets prophesied, what does he say, concerning this salvation that we have in Christ. That was their topic. That was, he is their, is their theme. In other words, the Old Testament is about what? It's about the gospel. The gospel is not just a New Testament thing. It's a Bible thing from start to finish. Peter also says there that the prophets, quote, prophesied about the grace that was to be yours in Jesus Christ. There are, there are many people who wrongly think that grace is a New Testament thing. Well, it is a New Testament thing, but it's also an Old Testament thing. God saves sinners by grace, and he always has. And it's the only way sinners have ever been saved, is by God's grace through Christ. There is grace to be found in those prophetic books. So if you've ever... If you've ever been like me, maybe you've read some of those Old Testament prophets and you've been a little intimidated. Maybe you, you read them and you scratch your head and you think, I, you know, I don't have the decoder ring. I, I don't understand this book. Uh, Isaiah says a lot of things that are difficult for us to understand. He says a lot of things that aren't difficult to understand, though, doesn't he? If you want to read the, the prophets, look first and foremost, not the only thing, but look first and foremost for how these prophets, how Isaiah, Jeremiah, pick, pick one how they speak of Christ himself, how they speak of the grace of God in the Christ that was to come in their day. That's what those prophetic books are about. And we have no less than the Apostle Peter's authority in Scripture here to tell us that. Well, how, how is the message of the prophets about the gospel of God's grace, as Peter tells us in that, that passage? Well, there's, there's one simple reason for it. How do we know that the prophets spoke of the gospel of God's grace? Well, they spoke of the gospel of God's grace because they focused on really on two things that really end up being kind of one thing. He says in verse 11 there that they focused on the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories or the, or the sufferings of Christ and the glories that were to follow, depending on your, your translation. What does he mean by the sufferings of Christ? Not just the cross, but primarily his death on the cross. In a sense, his entire earthly ministry was one of suffering until the resurrection. Everything he did, in some way, 
was an act of, of humiliation, of, of humility and of suffering. He laid aside his glory, took on the form of a servant, suffered at the hands of wicked men, was finally rejected by his own people that he had come uh, to be their Messiah for, was rejected, was crucified under the Roman government, and was buried. All those things are forms of his suffering and humiliation. Well, what, is his, what glories was Peter talking about? What glories were the prophets foretelling? Well, his resurrection is the first one. His ascension to the right hand of God the Father Almighty. His ruling over all things and his glorious return. All of that. Those are the two things that you will find in the prophets. You will find the sufferings of the Messiah, Isaiah 53, among other places. And you will find the return and glory of, of the Messiah. Everything that follows after his resurrection. That's the theme of the Old Testament. Not just the New. That's the theme of the prophets in the Old Testament. Not just the New well, what about uh, Jesus himself? What does Jesus himself say about the Old Testament? Not just Peter, although Peter's fine. In Luke 24, verses 25 to 27, you find, if you look there, you find Jesus uh, on the Emmaus Road. There's these two disciples, and we don't uh, know exactly who they are, but they're, they're walking along the way. This is after the crucifixion. It's actually after the resurrection, but they don't realize it. They think he's still in the grave. And so, you know, they had put their hopes in him. They had thought, as they said, to use their words, we thought he was going to, you know, bring, bring the glory days back to Israel. We thought he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Well, he was, but not in the way that they thought. To them, his death was a loss. To, to him and to us, his death, that's why we call it Good Friday. It wasn't a loss. It was his victory over the evil one. So they're walking along the way, and who comes along beside them, but Christ himself, the risen Christ, and he, he keeps them from recognizing him at first. And this is what it says. Luke writes there, He said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Where does he point them to? The Old Testament. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things? He had to. Was it not necessary? In other words, did those prophets not say that this must happen for the salvation of his people? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's a mouthful right there. In other words... In a sense, what's he saying? How could you have missed this? How could you possibly be walking on this road and wondering about all these things and wondering what happened? You have your Bible, you know, to use our words, do you, have, you have your Bible, look at it. You have your Old Testament, he wouldn't have called it that, but look at what it says. Did these things not have to happen? Was it not prophesied in, and think about what he says there, beginning with Moses, the first five books of the Old Testament, and all the prophets. That's a shorthand way of saying the entire Old Testament. We don't know how long this walk was. We don't know how long his talk with them was. But we know he may have even looked at Psalm 16. The, the apostles, as we're going to see, certainly, certainly did. All of the Old Testament prophesied and foretold the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. And listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. 
And what is that? In other words, here's the main thing. Paul says, this is the main thing I gave to you. Uh, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So, Paul kind of tells us in a summary form the most important things that he preached and taught. And what was that? Things that he received and had been entrusted by Christ to proclaim. What was that? That Christ died for our sins. Verse 3, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. In other words, here's the central message of Christianity. This is the the main thing. If you want to keep the main thing, the main thing, so to speak, this is it. The death and resurrection uh, of Christ. Those are the central points of all of sacred scripture. So we should make sure that we keep the main thing, the main things as well. What does Paul say about those things? They are of what? First importance. Without these things, you don't have Christianity at all. It's not, it's not a social club. It's not a social, inter, uh, you know, a social uh, club. It's not a social convention uh, or anything like that. It's, it's about the death and resurrection of Christ. And notice what Paul says there in verse 3. He doesn't just say that Christ died. Often we kind of read it that way. Jesus, of course he died. He died on the cross. We know, it. We know the facts. You know, what do they say in the old dragnet show? Just the facts. We know, we know the facts, but there's, there's not less than the facts, but there's more than that fact. It's not just the bare historical fact that Jesus at one point, 2,000 years ago or so, died a, a brutal death on a cross. It said, what, is, what does Paul actually say there? Christ died for our sins. He didn't just die, but he died for a, for a purpose. It's not just the historical facts of the death and resurrection of Christ. As important as they are, they must be affirmed, proclaimed, and we must believe them. Um, Christianity is a, is a religion grounded in history, but the theology of the cross is what makes it good news. The fact that he didn't just die, but he died for your sins and for, your, and for mine, if you're in Christ by faith. That's the good news for sinners like us. That's the grace that the prophets foretold, that he died for our sins. So I ask you this morning, do, do you believe not just that Jesus died? I know everybody doesn't actually believe in in, in facts, you know, facts are kind of stubborn things. People don't always believe in them. They want to deny that even that he existed. Some people do. Uh, do you? But do you believe that Jesus died, and not just that he died in some abstract sense? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? That's the point. If you missed that point, you've missed the entire point. Do you believe he died for you, for your sins, to pay for your sins, that you might be made right with a holy God? That's that's what it's all about. That's what the Bible is about. It's what Easter is about. It's what every Sunday is about. It's the gospel of Christ. And you notice there's a phrase in that, that short passage that Paul uses twice when he talks about the death and resurrection of Christ. Twice there he says that Christ's death and resurrection were, quote, in accordance with the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testament. Again, that's, that's the Bible the apostles preached from, was the Old Testament, while they were writing the, the New Testament. So what's the subject of and the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, the death and resurrection of Christ? Well, let's look at the psalm here that we're looking at this morning, in particular Psalm 16. How do we know, how is it that I can stand here in front of you this morning and say uh, that Psalm 16 is about the, the, the resurrection of Jesus in particular? How do I, how do I make that Claim. How do we know, how do you know, that Psalm 16 is the psalm of the resurrection of, of Christ? Well, the book of Acts is our key here. 
the book of Acts, twice both Peter and Paul each in turn quote from and interpret Psalm 16 in particular as applying to and being primarily about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Acts, I'll take them in reverse order if you don't mind. Acts 13.31, there uh, the Apostle Paul plainly says that in this psalm, quote, David, quote, foresaw, uh, foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He uses the same words found in the, in the psalm, doesn't he? In verse, in verse 10, he says that David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. So you have the Apostle Paul first here telling you Psalm 16 is about Jesus Christ's resurrection. Now, we're going to do this a little bit differently than I, than I often do or usually do. We're not going to deal with every verse in Psalm 16. We're going to deal with the verses that Peter himself quotes in Acts chapter, chapter 2. We have, uh, you know, if you remember, if you ever read through the, the Gospels and you have Jesus telling parables, and sometimes they're kind of difficult, you know, you read them and you think, boy, I wish somebody would tell me what this one means. Well, sometimes if, you know, if you've read through the Gospels, you'll notice Jesus explains them, not all of them. But Matthew 13 is a good example. He gives what we call the parable of the soils or the parable of the sower. And what does he do there? He, he tells the parable. It's a story about a, a sower, a farmer went out to sow and he sowed seed. The, the way you would never, it wasn't an instruction manual on how to farm, right? You don't, you don't cast your seed on the hard road, on the, you know, the side of the road kind of soil. But, but this guy was casting his seed, um, and there's four different kinds of soil. And then what does Jesus do, thankfully, is after that, he explains it. He basically says, okay, here's what I said to the disciples, and here's what it means. Well, he doesn't always do that. And, you know, we, as a pastor, when I'm studying, uh, preparing to preach, I very often will you know, go to commentaries and other people's, you know, the experts so-called, and, and look at what they say about whatever text I'm looking at. Well, we can do one better than that here. We have, script, we have the apostles themselves, Peter in particular and also Paul, giving us the inspired, so to, so, so to speak, the inspired commentary on Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11. In Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter does this, uh, this for us in, in his sermon on Pentecost, on the day of, of Pentecost. There's a a phrase that you may have heard or you may not, it's called the analogy of scripture. And that, if I can summarize what that means is the best practice for interpreting the Bible is to let the Bible interpret itself. That's one part of scripture explains the other part. That's how you, that's the best way to learn and to study scripture. Well, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 32, we have the Apostle Peter's uh, explanation or commentary on Psalm 16, verses 8 uh, to 11. And this is what it says, Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 32. This is the part of what you might think of as the very first Christian sermon, the first sermon Peter really ever preached after Christ's resurrection and ascension. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then what does he do? He quotes Psalm 16. For David says concerning him. There's the hint already. 
Peter is saying, David, in Psalm 16, which he's about to quote, is speaking about Christ himself. He says, for David says concerning him, and here it is, he quotes Psalm 16, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me, uh, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he adds this commentary on those verses. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. What's he saying? David is still where? His body, anyway, is still in the grave. His body is therefore also seeing, to put it mildly, corruption, decay, decomposition. And he says this, being therefore a prophet, speaking of David, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, here it is, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he, and he's going to use the words of the psalm, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. David spoke about Christ in this psalm. So David was writing about Jesus Christ and his resurrection on the third day, in Psalm 16, again, some 1,000 years before it happened. Pretty amazing stuff. David said these things, what did, what did Peter say? Concerning him. He wrote Psalm 16, not about himself, but about Jesus Christ. So the first thing you might think about when you think about Peter's, this is just one part of his sermon, is that it's biblical. It was based upon the scriptures of the Old Testament. Now think about that for a minute. Maybe, if you, maybe your wheels are already turning as you're listening uh, to this this morning. Think about your Bible, if you have a Bible there. Who wrote the Bible? How many human authors were involved in the writing of sacred scripture? Roughly 40 different men, 40 different authors, over a period of roughly 1,500 years in multiple languages on multiple continents, in multiple cultures, in multiple times. And yet the message of that book, written by all those men over all those years, in all those different languages and places and times, is about one person. One person. He, Christ, is the central message of the entire scripture. Not only that, but again, think about it. A lot of the things we find in the Bible that are about Christ's death and his resurrection in particular were written well over a thousand years before he was even born. And yet he fulfills them in every detail. His, his earthly ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension, everything was foretold in the Old Testament, sometimes well over a thousand years before it took place. There's no explanation for that. You, you, there's no human explanation. There's no human way possible that that happens. That you could get a book written that way and have that... <coughs> united of a theme in it where one explains the other in all these different ways if the Bible were not a supernatural book if it were not of divine inspiration and origin if it weren't the word of God written through the hands of men by the inspiration 
of the Holy Spirit. Notice the words of our psalm. They're written in the first person, right? You know, if you and I were going to, if we were going to write Psalm 16 and you were going to write it self-consciously about Jesus, you'd, you'd probably use, you know, third person, he, him. You'd say, he, this is what I see, him, 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 he, him. But David doesn't do He says, I have set the Lord, verses 8 through 9 of Psalm 16, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Why, why is it that David would not be shaken? Why is it that David, that his heart was glad, and his whole being within him rejoiced? Why did David's flesh dwell secure? Because first and foremost, Christ's flesh dwelt secure. It's because of the resurrection spoken of in verse 10. Look, listen to verse 10. That's where, where David writes, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. So Peter here explains that, that David was not speaking of himself, but of Christ. He reminds his hearers and reminds us that King David was not the one raised from the dead, not yet. That King David's body did see corruption, but not Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day, on the first day of the week. His flesh never saw decay. And that was prophesied in Psalm 16. And again, here is Peter's inspired commentary on, on that part of the psalm. Therefore, being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up of that, and of that we are all witnesses. So David was a king, as we know. David was also a prophet. And when he wrote this psalm, he did so. What does Peter say? Knowing, verse 30, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. What's he referring to there? It's what we call often, we often call it the, the Davidic covenant. God's oath, his promise to David. Remember, it's in 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. God tells David, you know, David was like, God, I'm paraphrasing, I want to build you a house. I've got this palace, and here you are living in a tent, the tabernacle. The, the, before the temple, there was like a portable temple. It was basically a big, a big tent. That's an under, under, understatement. It's a big fancy tent for, for God, a place for sinners to meet with God, a place for sacrifice, all that. And David says, I want to make a house for you. And God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to make a house for you. You've got this backwards. I'm going to take, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but I'm going to take one of your descendants, your seed, and I'm going to put him on your throne forever his kingdom is never going to end now was that who was David's son that succeeded him was Solomon was that promise about Solomon no did David know that promise was not about Solomon yes he did in fact Psalm 16 according to Peter tells us so when Peter wrote Psalm 16 about the resurrection of Christ from the dead he had in the back of his mind the Davidic covenant that God was going to take one of his descendants and put him on the throne forever. And so that necessitated the resurrection itself. His hope was in the promise and oath of God in that covenant that God was going to send, put one of his descendants upon his throne forever. 
And based on that, Peter says that David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. Christ Christ means Messiah. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So Peter, think about that. Peter, when he's preaching the first Christian sermon to, in, in, in Jerusalem, no less, not, long, not that long after the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ himself, one of the texts he thinks of to quote to them, that, to explain what happened, was Psalm 16. He says, this was about that. This psalm is about the resurrection of Christ. Now, just a couple things in closing. This psalm, I think, one of the things it should do is give us confidence in your Bibles. If, if that doesn't give you more confidence in the scripture as the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, and sufficient word of God, I don't know what will. To see that the resurrection of Christ, in addition to everything else, was so specifically and exactly prophesied all that time before. The second thing, maybe in some sense a more important thing, the psalm should give us confidence in the promise of the resurrection. That's really the point. It's like that thing before when he said about when, when the apostle said that Christ died, what Paul said that Christ died for our sins. Christ rose for our salvation. He didn't just rise, but he rose for our salvation. Whoever believes in Christ, what does he say in John? Though he die, yet he shall live. The resurrection of Christ, as, as it did in the psalm, should make our hearts glad. It should make our whole beings rejoice, for our flesh dwells secure. In Christ, Charles Spurgeon, some of you know who that is, the old prince of preachers, he wrote this about this psalm. He says this, this is a noble encouragement to all the saints. Die they must, but rise they shall. And though in their case they shall see corruption, yet they shall rise to everlasting life. Christ's resurrection is the cause, the earnest, the guarantee, and the emblem of the rising of all his people. Because he was raised, we too will be raised. He says this, Let them therefore go to their graves as to their beds, resting their flesh among the clods, the dirt, as they do now upon their couches. That's putting your money where your mouth is. I mean, that doesn't get much more practical than that. We don't like to think about those things. Most of us don't. Most people don't like to think about the subject of death. But what, what, is, what does Spurgeon say Christ's resurrection, as foretold in this psalm, does or should do for the, the idea of death for Christ's people, if you're in Christ by faith? It's not that there isn't a little bit of, in some sense, of fear about it. No, nobody, you know, what, what's the old saying? I don't mind dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. You know, that, that kind of a thing. But what does he say there? That, that we can, in Christ, go to our graves as to our beds and, and rest upon the dirt or under the dirt as we do even now on our couch. In other words, death can't touch you. No matter what happens, you will be raised from the dead if you are in Christ to life eternal. And why is that? Because Christ was raised and the scripture says that we are the he was the first fruit so to speak of the resurrection of the dead of his people he's the guarantee if you're in Christ his resurrection is the guarantee of your resurrection and glory he is risen indeed so i have to ask this morning do you know jesus christ by faith can can you in faith go go to your grave as to your bed as spurgeon says because what what does he say there again you know, all the saints, the best of God's people, die they must, but rise they shall. Let's, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we, we give you praise and thanks for your word that in so many ways, in so many different places, all throughout from beginning to end, it speaks to us of Christ and him crucified and him raised from the dead for our salvation. We thank you that you have given us testimony from, from front to back in all of your scripture concerning your, your goodness, your grace to us in Christ, the salvation that you have sent him to accomplish in our place. And we ask that you would uh, give us grace to be growing in our faith. Help us to, to believe uh, just what this psalm is about and that because he lives, we too shall live. And we do ask if anyone here today uh, does not yet know you, has not turned to you by faith in your son, that you might grant even today that they might look to him and live and have life and forgiveness and salvation and peace that passes all understanding and all those things that are to be found only in Christ himself. Thank you for the grace that you offer through him uh, in your word. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.